Thanks for the call. Good afternoon, everyone. So we've just opened the last but one chapter in this amazing book, and we ought to be bound a thousand years. So for the time being, all human opposition is gone. So Revelation 20, verse 4, I saw thrones and they sat on them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So Christ and the saints are now established as the sole rulers of the world. And we've got this time period of a thousand years and it's interesting that during the break from the last session two people have asked me um what about this time period of a thousand years and i said well we're going to look at that in the next class which is what we're going to do i believe that the day for a year principle that we've already seen operates throughout the book of revelation when the prophecy is in hours or days or months so we've seen in chapter nine and at verse 15, that the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the, th the third part of men. And we saw that an hour and a day and a month and a year, day for a year, adds up to 391 years and one month, which is the exact time span between Togrul Beg taking over the rulership of Islam and the fall of Constantinople. So day for a year works wonderfully and amazingly in many prophecies in Revelation. But when the prophecy is given in years rather than in hours, days and months, I suggest that it is literal because that's the pattern in Scripture. If we were to go back to Genesis 15 and verse 13, we would find God saying to Abraham, that his seed would be strangers in a land that was not theirs, and they would evil afflict them 400 years. And that's exactly what happened from the birth of Isaac, when, sorry, from the weaning of Isaac, when he began to be persecuted by Ishmael, to the Exodus, when Israel came out of Egypt, is exactly 400 years to the selfsame day. In Jeremiah 25 and verse 11, God says, these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And they did, exactly 70 years. And it's interesting that the actual kingdom of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian successors only lasted from uh, the start point of the 70 years, only lasted 67 years. But in the last three years, Babylon was ruled by Cyrus the Persian, who is called in the book of Ezra the king of Babylon. So the Jews served Babylon 70 years exactly. And in 2 Chronicles 36, verses 19 to 21, we're told that following the desolation of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, the land was going to enjoy her Sabbaths 70 years. And from the destruction of the temple, in 586 BC by the Babylonians to its restoration in the reign of Darius the Persian is exactly 70 years. So where the prophecies in days or months or hours, then we consider it day for a year. 
where it's in years, we consider it as literal. So I believe that the reign of Christ and the saints there in Revelation 20, verse 4, is literally for a thousand years. So Revelation 20, verse 5, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now we know that there are some living in this age who die and who have no hope and are without God in the world and they will not be raised. But the responsible wicked are going to rise together with the righteous. So keep a finger in Revelation and come back to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So the first deliverance is for Daniel's people Israel. But not all of them. We're told in Zechariah 13 that two-thirds of them are going to be cut off and die. But those who are found written in the book are going to be delivered. And, verse 2, Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So the responsible wicked are going to rise together with the righteous. And as we go back to Revelation, call in at Luke chapter 13, where Jesus is speaking to the Jewish rulers. And this is a verse unique to Luke uh, and full of information. Luke 13, verse 28. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. So to the Jews who did not believe him, he is saying, you are going to rise from the dead, you will be judged, you will not be found worthy, but you will still be alive when you see the kingdom established and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets enjoying the blessings. And you'll be on the outside and you won't be able to get in. And you will suffer the punishment that the judge has decreed for you. So, although life will greatly be prolonged in the millennium, the mortals in the millennium will die at some point. And the redeemed who are judged at Christ's appearing are described as the first fruits. And there's a further harvest to take place at the end of the thousand years. And that's what I believe Revelation 20, verse 5 is referring to. So Revelation 20 and verse 7. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are on the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Some have questioned how can there possibly be a rebellion at the end of the millennium? After a thousand years of rule, righteous rule, by Jesus and the saints. 
I'll just come back to Zechariah and chapter 14, because there we have a commandment going forth to all nations to come up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is a glad and joyous time in Israel when they made booths and sat under the booths and rejoiced. And there's a good description of it in Nehemiah chapter 8. So in Zechariah 14, we read at verse 16, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, Yahweh of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whosoever will not come up of the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, Yahweh of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt come not up, there shall be the plague. So, under the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are nations who will want to disobey. They will be punished. But that's the nature of flesh. It doesn't want to obey God. And after a thousand years of the righteous rule of the Lord Jesus Christ, the flesh is going to have one last opportunity to manifest itself. And it manifests itself against the rulers of the world, and they went up, verse 9 of Revelation 20, on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 10. And the devil, the diabolos, the dragon that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and should be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that's the end of the dragon joining the beast and the false prophet in everlasting destruction. And then verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and the grave delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and the grave were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the great white throne judgment is at the end of the millennium. And that is proved by verse 14. <laughs> where well, we're told that is the end of death. And that parallels 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, where we're told the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So that's the chronological background to Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. It comes at the end of the thousand years. So what's going to happen? Well, before we look at Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8, I want to notice a feature of the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. These last two chapters are constantly quoting, that is to say God is quoting himself. They're constantly quoting the language of the early chapters of Genesis. So if you can keep Revelation 21 and 22 open on one side and, and go back to first chapters of Genesis with the other hand, let's do a bit of comparing. 
My Bible's a bit fragile in Genesis, so I'm using two Bibles. So, Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Corresponds to Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And there was no more sea, Revelation 21, verse 1. And that corresponds with Genesis chapter 1 and verse 10. God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. That's when the seas were created. And now there is no more sea. <laughs> Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 24. So God drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Literally in the Hebrew, he caused to dust thou art, and dust unto dust shalt thou return. But ultimately, there's going to be no more death. Verse 5, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. It's a new creation. And we have, of course, a new creation in Genesis chapter 1, as God created the heavens and the earth and, and filled them with all those things that he made. Revelation 21, verse 6, and he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and we've got the beginning there in Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we've now got the new beginning with sin and death swept away and God all in all. Revelation 21 verse 23. <clears throat> and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And that takes us straight back to Genesis 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And there was no sun and no moon and no stars. The earth was lit by the glory of God. Revelation 22, verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 10. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. Uh, and they are named. And the river went forth and watered the earth. And it was a pure river. There was no pollution in the Garden of Eden. And it brought life wherever it went. And then in Revelation 22, verse 2, we've got the tree of life. Literally there, it's the wood of life. But we've got the tree of life, which, of course, is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 2. And verse 9, in Revelation 22, verse 3, there shall be no more curse. The curse is going to be taken away. And the curse, of course, comes in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Genesis, uh, Revelation 22, verse 5. And there shall be no night there, and they need no lamp, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, 
and they shall reign forever and ever. God is the light giver. And that, of course, is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. And then Revelation 22 and verse 14, which we looked at last night. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. And we looked at it this morning as well. But it's the opposite of Genesis 3. The obedient and the faithful ones can go in and eat. We also know that in Eden and in the millennium, all the animals were vegetarian. And men before the flood lived long lives. And Isaiah 65 says, the days of my people shall be as the days of a tree. So Revelation 21 and 22 is showing to us that God had an eternal purpose on the earth. And that purpose was manifested in type in the beginning and in the Garden of Eden and is going to be fulfilled in the Kingdom Age. It's not a case of God tearing up plan A when man had sinned and formulating plan B. God has never done that. Man, God is still working on his original plan to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory in a race of redeemed men and women. And God, in due course, will rid the world of all the effects of man's sin. So when we now come to these, last, these first eight verses of Revelation 21, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the final stage, or basically as much as is revealed to us in the Bible, of the final stage of the purpose of God with the earth. So Revelation 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, as I said earlier, heavens and earth in Revelation are symbolic. Keep your finger in Revelation and come back to 2 Corinthians and chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. It's not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. But Paul talks about this vision, which either he had or somebody he knew had caught up to the third heaven and saw things which he could not utter. And I think that is this state that we have in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. We've got the original state of the heavens and the earth, which God created in the beginning and has existed for nearly 6,000 years. Then we've got the millennial heavens and earth. And finally, the new heavens and the new earth, once death and the grave have been swept away. And there is no more sea. We saw in Revelation 17 and verse 15 in one of the earlier classes, that the waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. 
And Isaiah 57 says that the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, casting up mire and dirt. And in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 2, we read, I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. So there is now a calm and a tranquility over all the earth. And the saints are in power. They stand on the sea of glass, just like Joshua's captains stood on the necks of their enemies indicating they had power over them. So the rebellious and turbulent nations are now quelled. But when we get to Revelation 21, there is no more sea. So there are no more national identities. The people are all one. They are the people of God. They are immortals. They are the citizens of the final stage of God's kingdom. And then in verse 2 of Revelation 21, we read, I, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Come back to Hebrews and chapter 11. And this was the hope of the patriarchs. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10 talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. But they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they'd been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is an heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Revelation 21 verse 2. The holy city, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband prepared by God, coming down from heaven. And our salvation is going to do that. Come to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And I think it's the Good News Bible that adds, and God will make sure you get there to receive it. But that's not what the scripture says. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation, apocalypsis, of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is in heaven and Jesus is going to bring it with him just as the holy city, the new Jerusalem prepared by God and comes down out of heaven. And there's a parallel of course with the manna which was formed on the ground and Christ who was formed in the womb of Mary 
both by the power of God. So all the blessings of God are now going to descend and be manifested on the earth. And the city is prepared as a bride is prepared, dawn for her husband. That's another link back to Eden, where God prepared a bride and brought her to Adam. Verse 3 of Revelation 21. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Again, as in Eden, when God walked in the garden and conversed with Adam and Eve before they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But now sin is gone, flesh is no more. There can be perfect fellowship between God and man. But there's something hidden about this. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17. Revelation 2 verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the ecclesias. To him that is uh, that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. In Revelation 14 and verse 3. Revelation 14, verse 3. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. There are things which are only for immortals. There are things which are only for the saints. And, of course, the hidden manner goes back to Exodus 16, where Aaron was commanded to take a pot which Hebrews tells us was a golden pot, and put manna in it. And that manna was preserved for generations and never corrupted. I will give to eat of the hidden manna. Revelation 21 and verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Now, we need to have a right view of death, because there are errors creeping in. Come back again to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. Genesis 1 verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Death is not very good. There could not have been death in the world that God created. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What if Adam had not eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why should he die? We've already read Revelation 22 and verse 14, where it tells us that those who do his commandments can eat of the tree of life. So if Adam had been obedient, there was no cause for him to die. Genesis 3 and verse 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Adam was to die because of his sin. And that's exactly what Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says. If you haven't got Romans 5, verse 12 marked in your Bible, you probably should. 
I've just got to find it. Romans 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26, talking about the time that Revelation 20 and 21 are writing about. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So the teaching of the Bible is that death was not part of the original creation. Death, scripturally, is the consequence of sin. And if you can abolish sin, you can abolish death. But the theory of evolution requires death. It's part of the mechanism of evolution. It's part of the so-called process of the survival of the fittest. And it simply does not fit scripture. Death is the result of sin. It is not as the world was created. If we hold fast to that, we won't have our foundations troubled by the thinking of men. Back in Revelation 21 and verse 4, sorrow and crying and pain, there are all consequences of the sin that we re read about in Genesis 3. They're now no more in God's plan and purpose. The former things are to pass away. Come back to Isaiah 65 and verse 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. That's the millennial heavens and earth. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a, joy, a rejoicing and her people a joy. All the present troubles and griefs that we endure will not be remembered. And we should be glad about that because looking back to past ages is actually condemned in Scripture. Turn back to Ecclesiastes and chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 10. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire, inquire wisely concerning this. And the things of the kingdom are going to be infinitely better than the things of this life. And we won't spend our time grieving over past sorrows. We will be glad and rejoice in the things that God has done. Verse 5 of Revelation 21. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. The things of the kingdom are not a change to things which are alien to us. Come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. 
Behold, all things are become new. And so the old things of our lives have been passed away since our baptism, if we are baptized. And all things are new. But it will be even better in the kingdom, because flesh will be subdued and death will no longer be in the earth. So we should be seeking to live the kingdom life now, to manifest God's character now, to do his will now, to glorify him now, because that's what we're going to be doing in the kingdom. Verse 6 of Revelation 21. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of life freely. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ, who has just judged the world. He is the Alpha and the Omega. That occurs four times in Revelation, interpreted as the beginning and the end. 55, where Jerusalem was under siege, and Isaiah was saying, Ho, ye that are athirst, come unto me and drink. Drink wine and milk without money and without price. But we have to thirst. We have to come. We have to incline our ear. And then God will respond. So how thirsty are we? we we've drunk quite a lot of liquid this week in various ways. But how thirsty are we for spiritual things? Do we really want the water of life? Or are we actually content with what this world offers? Verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So what do we have to overcome? And how do we do it? First of John and chapter 5. Scripture never tells us that we've got to do something without explaining to us how to do it. First John chapter 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth, that hath faith, that Jesus is the Son of God. That's how we do it. Jesus did it. The end of his exhortation to the disciples in the upper room, he said, fear not, I have overcome the world. And we do it the same way as he did by faith. And that phrase, he that overcometh, occurs in each of the letters to the seven ecclesias in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. We're not left in any doubt. God is not looking for bright starters. He's looking for finishers. They that overcome. Those that endure to the end shall be saved. And he that overcometh, verse 7 of chapter 21, shall inherit all things including the promise of dominion in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. And we saw that in one of the previous classes when we were looking at Psalm 2 and ultimately in Revelation chapter 2. To him that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And man will at last achieve the dominion that was promised in Eden. I will be his God, is Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8, God's promise to Abraham. 
and he shall be my son, is Second Samuel 7 and verse 14. But this section in Revelation chapter 21, seven are an abomination unto him. One of them is lying. Idolaters. The very first commandment to Israel was, I am Yahweh your God, and you only worship me. The second commandment, you don't make any graven images or any likeness of anything and bow down and worship them. And the last commandment is, thou shalt not covet. And the New Testament equates covetousness with idolatry. And there are so many things around us in this world that we might covet. We have to be careful. Sorcerers. Alternative ways of seeing the future and accessing information. Israel were constantly going to those people. They're still around today, offering, peddling their wares. We need to keep separate from them. Whoremongers. Physical unfaithfulness in scripture is condemned, but it's also paralleled with spiritual unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness to God. Murderers. Another sin from the beginning when Cain butchered his brother Abel. The Lord Jesus Christ says hatred in the heart is the equivalent. And the abominable. Come back to Titus and chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And verse 15. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. These were in the ecclesia in the days of the Apostle Paul. They could be in the ecclesia in our day. They were hypocrites with a form of godliness, denying the power thereof, and they are abominable in the sight of God. Back in verse 8 of Revelation 21, the unbelieving, those who had evidence presented to them and reject it, and reject the life that goes with belief of those things. And finally, the fearful. We might think that's out of place, but come back to Matthew and chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24. The disciple is not above his master, Matthew 10, 24, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. Fear is forbidden. Fear is the antithesis of faith. If we believe, we will not fear. And we live in a world where we are likely to be called Beelzebub and worse. But we are not to fear them. 
we are to hold fast to our faith. So these are people listed in verse 8 of chapter 21 who are not ignorant people out of the world. They've heard the gospel. They are people who have lived in the millennial glory and have rejected Christ. And they are condemned at the end. And so shall we be at our judgment if we neglect these things. Their end is to be burned, as the Apostle says in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 7 to 12. But if we overcome, if we manifest faith, if we manifest the character of God in our lives,